Gene Codes, Session 9. I'm really spacing these gene codes out because it gives me time to really relax and reflect and kind of prepare myself for the next session. I would like to have a stronger pace in these, but you know what it is? At the moment, I'm slowly grinding through the overviews, the introductory uh, the introductory <laughs> sessions about the different kinds of gene codes that I'm into and that I will get further into in the future. I think there will be more sessions. Once I finish these introductories, then I can kind of go more with the flow of consciousness of what it is that is most relevant in the gene codes. There's a lot of gene codes. There's just, uh, you know, if all of these gene codes that I'm, we're on session nine now, and we're dealing with the seven intelligences. This this session is going to be dedicated to the seven intelligences. And we're already on session nine and we're still going through introductory ideas that have a whole lot more depth to them. So I like to get right into things. That way we can have quick sessions for now and get into it, get into uh, the the overview of what we could go delve deeper into. Again, human nature is my passion. And so with all of these systems, I'm able to better understand anything in life that is affected or impacted by human thinking, human psychology, human behavior, or human activity. Now, the seven intelligences. This really began years ago for me when I started delving into a system known as EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique. It was, it was and is, I still use it today, is a very powerful system for helping to deal with the unblocking of uh, energetic emotional traumas and blockages that we have within us. But I'm not going to get into that. I'm just going to say that that's where it started for me. Because the developer of EFT was really big into NLP. We have all these three-letter words, all these um, abbreviations and acronyms. And and uh, he, when he talked about NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, I naturally got interested in that as well. Because he used that was an important part for understanding the people that he was dealing with whenever he goes into therapeutic sessions to best understand how to communicate and how the person communicates back. Now, NLP was something that was basically invented. Um, I remember the creator of NLP basically basically said, I just made it up. I just made the word up because people kept asking. I, I forget what his name is. Richard something, Branson or something. I forget what his name is, but um, he was he's a... Uh, eclectic and he's a very interesting individual but he knew a lot about these kinds of these kinds of um ways that the mind works and ways that the brain works i don't know what his specialty was but one day he was asked well you know what do you call what it is that you're what is your specialty called? And he just said, well, neuro-linguistic programming. <laughs> he said he said he confessed. He said i just made it up. So it became a big thing. And one of the major things that I took from neuro-linguistic programming, the thing that really hit me the hardest was the way that um, you can look at the way that people express themselves by three main avenues, and they are the auditory, the kinesthetic, and the visual. And I found that very, very fascinating and useful because 
in the ways in communicating because I used to I used to um I used to help people. I used to do I, I don't like to call myself a therapist because I never qualified, I never went to school, I never went to I was self taught. And because I got very good at what I did, uh, my friends kept telling me, you really need to set up your own practice. And uh, I took that advice and I said, okay, I, I will give this a try. And I did. I had my own practice and I got really good at it. And th this was one of the avenues that was really important for me to understand how to best communicate with another person and how to best get the other person to communicate back to me. So when I was learning about this system. Now, I didn't really go deep into neuro-linguistic programming. I really didn't get into it that much. Uh, Tony Robbins popularized it. A, he popularized it a little bit. But my main concern was these avenues of communication, the auditory, kinesthetic, and visual, meaning each person has a way that they experience how they want to communicate and how they want to be communicated towards. And they boiled it down to these three forms, the auditory, kinesthetic, and the visual. I quickly realized that I was kinesthetic. I was very kinesthetic because these three avenues, these three ways of communication, what I learned later on, I didn't learn this from any studies. I just learned this from my own observation because I would try to figure out what people were primarily so I understood that I was primarily kinesthetic and I would see someone who was primarily visual because I had the cues. I had learned how to identify these signals in the ways of communications like visual people will use phrases like, ah, I see what you're saying or, you know, an auditory person would say, oh, I hear what you're saying. Or, or a kinesthetic person, I, I, I feel that, I, I feel what you're saying. You understand there's a way of communicating through these different avenues that are somehow connected to us energetically. But then what I started noticing, because I asked myself, okay, well, a visual artist, how, how is it that a visual artist either becomes a painter with a lot of elaborate colors or a sculptor? And then I started to think, okay, well, isn't the sculptor using their physical touch, their physical body? So how do, how do I now distinguish, is that person, is that artist a kinesthetic artist or is that artist a, a visual artist? And what I started to discover, what I started to realize was that there was a primary, secondary, and tertiary way of communicating. So certain people will be primarily kinesthetic. And then as a second way of communicating, they will be auditory. And then as a third way of communicating, they will be visual. Usually the third way of communicating is the last, is the least priority. So a person who is primarily kinesthetic, secondarily auditory, and in, in, in the tertiary position, you would have visual they would not be really into looks. They would not really be into dressing themselves up. They would not really be into being seen, things of that nature. You know, it, it would come across. You would see that the person is primarily a touchy person. And then in second place, it's a person who likes to talk a lot because they're auditory. So when I figured that, when I figured this out, I started to map people out and I started to see, okay, well, this person is primarily visual and secondarily kinesthetic and hence why this person may be a, a, a sculptor likes to 
Um, and, and you'll notice the difference, right? You'll notice the difference because there may be a sculptor who really doesn't have that visual quality. So the sculpture will be unique, but it won't have those details, those kind of uh, Michelangelo details that you see in, in those sculptures. So then I would, then I would realize, okay, there could be kinesthetic sculptors who are really in the touching part. They're, they're really into the, the, the touching of the objects that they're dealing, working with their hands. And then there's the person who is more visual. And so the visual object is more oriented towards the eye. They're sculpting something based on what the eye is seeing, and then the hand helps out. So as you can see, this really helped me out a lot because when I was dealing with people in therapeutic sessions, if I quickly understood that the person was a visual person, then what I would have the person do is use a lot of visual cues. I would, I would have that person describe visually what the problem is, um, describe the or detail or, or tell me about what they're seeing and how they're seeing it. What are the colors and things of that nature? Because in uh, the kind of therapy that I, that I, used to do. There was a lot of recalling of memories involved. It was very important to recall the past and, and connect these things. So if the person was more auditory, I wouldn't deal so much with visual images and pictures. I would deal with words. I would say, what kind of words trigger you? If I say this phrase or when that happened to you when you were young, what were the words that your parents used? Or what was the word, what was that word that the teacher used that made you so upset? You understand? Because I know that I'm dealing with an auditory person. And then if I was dealing with a kinesthetic person, I would ask questions like, well, where do you feel this trauma in your body? Um, that, that thing that happened to you when you were younger in school made you really sad. Where do you feel that sadness? Let's concentrate and focus on that sadness. So you understand it really helps out when you are dealing with people in a communication, when they're, tr when you're trying to get somebody to communicate something difficult to you, especially if you're in a therapeutic environment, you want to use the language that is most comfortable and easy for them. And then this goes, naturally, this will go into any kind of relationship. Now, if you think about teacher student relationship, how many teachers are frustrated because Maybe in the art class, certain students are really good at drawing and others are not. Well, have they considered that maybe some of those who are drawing are more visual than others who may not be? And maybe in another class, a literature class where somebody, you know, the, the students who are more auditory love the literature, love the words, love playing with words and poetry and things of that nature. Whereas others who may be more kinesthetic or, or, or introverted and, and kinesthetic aren't really dealing with words. So you understand these are concepts that can really help us to interact and understand the person that we have before us and the person that we are trying to communicate with. And especially, I mean, look in relationships. In relationships, you really have to learn how to identify these avenues of communication. Because if you have a partner who is very auditory and you are very kinesthetic, then there's going to be a problem if your way of expressing love is always through touching, kissing, hugging, caressing, whereas the other person expresses that love through lots of words, compliments. 
And if you don't realize it, then, then what happens is the arguments, but well, you know, you, you hardly ever hug me. Yeah. I know you tell me you love me all the time, but you know, every once in a while, a hug would be nice. A kiss would be nice. Don't you see how, uh, how affectionate I am? Then the other person is, yeah, well, you know, all the kissing and hugging, that's all nice and there, but I, you know, I like to hear a compliment every once in a while. I, I like to hear how much you care about me. I like to hear, 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 hear the auditory person is communicating with their main way of communicating and is hoping and wishing to have that communication returned because it is their way not only of a communi- of communicating outwardly but of receiving communication inwardly so even though i'm a i'm a very kinesthetic person i'm very touchy feely right uh, i have a partner who is auditory so i know that i consciously need to every day Find those moments that when I'm now, it's not faking it. This is not about faking it. It's that when I get that sensation of wanting to express my affection and my love, I I feel that kinesthetically. And then so I reach out and I want to give her a kiss and I want to give her a hug. But in that moment, I also know that this love that I'm feeling towards her can also be expressed in words. And so I do both simultaneously because I want to express my love, how I'm feeling it for myself, but I want her to receive what it is that she is more oriented towards receiving. She will, she will obviously incorporate that more. It'll be more amplified. I can give her a kiss, but if I give her a kiss and say, Hey, I love you, then trust me, that kiss is amplified a hundred times over because her auditory nature receives the communication of love more in a more amplified way. So as I looked into these things, there were these three main ones were really what hit me the hardest. But then when I, what I discovered later on, as I started to look into the roots of these, I was looking to find out, you know, more about where does this, where does, did somebody study this? Is there any academic papers? Is there any study, any field? And what I came across was, um, one of the originators, Howard Gardner, PhD, uh, he wrote Frames of Mind and into, in which he talked about these kinds of intelligences. He calls it an intelligence. So you will have a kinesthetic intelligence. So your intelligence is more expressed towards touch and you learn better through touch. It's very, oh, it's really fascinating. It really is. Trust me. All of these gene codes take you into a whole different dimension when it comes to understanding yourself, other people, and how to interact. So these are really forms of intelligence. And, and, uh, what Gardner laid out is that he believes that there are, that there are seven. He demonstrated that there are not just three, but seven intelligences. And it's, it's, it's sometimes it's difficult. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because we're so accustomed saying to saying intelligence in the plural, in the singular, in the singular, uh, it's very rare that we use intelligences in the plural. So I find it it's it's kind of because of how the ending the, the intelligences is, <laughs> it sounds strange when I say it. But the seven intelligences uh, are basically what I was saying, and and and. Um, and so we have the auditory intelligence, which is uh, you expressing yourself verbally. And, and I just talked about that. And those are people who are words are important. 
So they may love to, they love to speak. They're very chit chatty, especially if they're extroverted. So they talk a lot and words are important. They look up words in the dictionary. If they hear a word on television that they never heard before, they'll, they'll jot it down. They'll memorize it. Um, when they, when they're driving around town, they'll read all the signs inadvertently. They'll just kind of automatically words. They are attracted to words and words are very important for them. And so reading and things of that nature, are big in in their life and they expect this and this is the best way that they receive so the best way to teach a person like that is through words through having that person write those people you know may become poets or may become um uh involved in in literature or uh public speaking you know this is this is that level of intelligence then what you have is the a, the Visual intelligence, which I just taught about, which I just talked about, which is mo it's oriented towards sight. It's oriented towards the mind's eye, thinking in terms of pictures and and noticing uh, noticing things in your sight. And it's also has to do with being seen. So people who are visual, um, they love to express their love through sharing the sharing of gifts. Um, things that can be seen. So, uh, so things, <laughs> things that are visual are very important. So people who have this kind of intelligence, they like to be looked at in the eyes. You know, if the romantic partner, if a romantic partner doesn't kiss them, doesn't say, I love you, but just stares into their eyes with, with the love that they are expressing and feeling, that is the equivalent, that is an equivalent for a first, for a person that is visual, that is an equivalent, that is just fine, that is perfect actually. It actually goes beyond. So somebody who is like, if somebody was kinesthetic and had a partner who was visual, then when you feel that sensation of love that you want to reach over and give, her or him a kiss, what you would do is you would give that person a kiss, but then you would stop to glare in their eyes to show the love that you're feeling towards them. You understand how this works and you would understand why they're staring. You know, <laughs> you can imagine a kinesthetic person who's got this visual partner who's, who's gazing at them, glaring at them. And he turns and he just, you know, he doesn't get like, why are you staring at me? <laughs> because that is the visuals way of communicating through the eyes, through how you dress up and and how you show show the word show show your love visually show your love towards that person then as i mentioned there's the kinesthetic and that is your bodily intelligence what you feel the intuition that you feel the sensations on you know i got goosebumps or i got a funny feeling from that person right the kinesthetic part of you senses and expresses intelligence through touch so, you know, these people might be, you know, constantly patting you on the back or touching you on the arm or, or getting close up. They don't have a problem with um, touching. They don't have a problem with contact. In fact, they seek it out because kinesthetically, it's all about the feelings. It's all about the physical sensation of the body. And these um, people who are kinesthetic, you know, they, they may become drummers because of the, the sound, the, the, the strong sound that you get from drums. If they're in a band, you know, they would, they, they might be the bass player because low bass sounds, the body can feel that. It's something that's felt. So kinesthetic people like songs with a lot of bass because it can be felt, felt, you can feel those vibrations, right? So then what happened was, was when I got into Gardner's work, 
he extended it out and it really helped me out because then I could understand why other, how other people, um, mixed and matched these different types of intelligences in order to be able to express something really unique, especially creative people, especially creative people. Cause I, I've always wondered how do certain people just have that musical talent about them? Well, speaking of which one of the intelligences is musical intelligence. So making the most of your melodic mind. You're into melodies. People like the people who uh, have this kind of musical intelligence, they'll they'll sing while they work or they have a tendency to. It reminds me of George Carlin. George Carlin said that when he does his comedy, his comedy is very melodic. He likes to get into these flows where he just uh, he just it's like scatting. It's kind of like, the you know, he, he's it's almost like he's rapping. It's almost, you know, he, he puts the rhythm. So he had, he may have been very auditory, right? But also had the musical intelligence that he incorporated into his comedy, how he presented his wording, how he present, cause he would really get into some real skits sometimes. And it almost sounded, you know, rhythmically musical, what he was doing, you know, it was almost like poetry, you know, in the form of comedy. So there are people who have this musical intelligence and they really enjoy music. They can get lost in music. That's the, you know, that kind of person, if you know that a person has this kind of musical communication, you dedicate them songs, you know, you get to them by dedicating them songs or you sing them a song, um, or you take them to the place to take them to places to have beautiful sounds out in nature and things of that nature. So, you know, there's a musical intelligence, and this is important also for parents. When you start to see these intelligence start to develop in your children, start to flourish, because I still don't know. Remember, this is part of gene code, so I don't know where this comes from. I don't know if it's environmental. I don't know if it's um, my – I always start with the supposition that this is all some kind of gener- energetic coding that exists within us. We come into this world, and it, and it either automatically is with us, encoded in our DNA, encoded in our soul, or it's something that develops out as, uh, as, as we evolve, as we develop or in some cases it's conditioning from the environment. But in this case, the seven intelligences, I think it's something that is embedded, encoded in to our genetics, encoded into our soul. We come into the world with um, this order of the seven intelligences from the, the primary up until, you know, uh, to a lesser degree, the different other ones. Obviously, you can develop some of these, but but the people who are more naturally oriented toward these do more in their area. If you are naturally born visual, then it will be easier for you to do visual things in life. So there's a musical intelligence and, you know, those people obviously can become singers and, and, uh, and musicians and, and, uh, you know, it's the kind of people who, um, they sing while they're doing their chores. They, they might hum, uh, <laughs> Or they might, even when they get angry, they might chant out some song with some provocative wording or something like that. There's something melodic about the way that they are in life. Um, then you have a logic intelligence, a logical intelligence, which is the calculating of mathematics and scientific abilities. You know, some people are just really good at being logical, being scientific and really getting into those mathematics. I mean, I look at I look at Einstein's work and I think, my God, that would make me go crazy having all those pages full of formulas and and equations. And but people who are uh, have this logical, mathematical, more logical, because then it gets into science as well and different types of science. And this this logical intelligence 
uh, is probably uh, a lot of coders, a lot of programmers and developers in the coding world. They have this naturally within them, so it makes it easier for them to be able to delve into this world. One problem, however, is that it makes their communication a little, um, a little off-putting sometimes because you can be too logical, too scientific, too formulaic, and if you don't understand that the other person is not like that or does not have this natural tendency, then the communication comes across a little off. But this is the importance of understanding these gene codes and the importance of understanding the seven intelligences because the main objective is to learn how to better communicate and get along with other people, to create better relationships in which you relate to the other person for who they are, how they are, by being who you are and how you are, and finding a way to bridge that bridge that gap of communication that causes a conflict or misunderstanding when one person doesn't understand that there's a natural tendency in the other person and that and that we should not interpret that as being well there's something wrong with them if they're not like me because that is that's is a really wrong way to approach things it's very hubris it's very egocentric then we have people smart. I like this one, social intelligence, something that I'm not really that good at. <laughs> I don't have this high up on my list because I love interacting with people, but I'm not really sociable. I don't like social environments. I don't like to be in groups of people where we're just sitting around chit-chatting, bullshitting away. Um, I'm not that social when it comes to certain things like that. Um, but the social intelligence is the ability to connect uh Connect with your social sense, your sense of other people wanting to be in groups. Friendliness. Uh, these are the people who are really easy to befriend other people. They like to, they just kind of filter, they just kind of ease their way into groups and, hey guys, what are you talking about? Oh yeah, well, you know, I did that thing. They can, they can easily ease their way, whereas I'm the kind of guy who would just kind of be leaning up against the wall and, and hoping nobody says nothing to me. <laughs> I'm really a nomadic type, man. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm, I don't socialize. I do know how to socialize, but it's not one of my instinctual. It's not one of my natural intelligences. Whereas for other people, it is very natural for them to be able to do these kinds of things. So as you can see, as we go through these intelligences, you can see where in certain areas of life, some of these intelligences really can help a person to excel in what it is that they're doing. And it's also very important to understand that if you have a primary intelligence and you are not doing things in life that will help to continue to help to better flow outward, express out that intelligence, you're going to deal with a lot of conflict. You're going to deal with a lot of internal conflict and external conflict because you're not communicating or expressing your natural way of being. And then you have what is known as like a self-smart. That's the intrapersonal intellect. It's developing your sense of self where you know who you are. You're, you're very introspective and, and you reflect on who you are, why you are the way you are, why you believe things, why you don't believe other things. So it's, it's really a self. And trust me, there's, it, it may for some people seem like it's a self-evident thing, but there are a lot of people out there who are not introspective. They are externally oriented. They don't look at themselves. They don't look within themselves. They don't reflect on themselves. They reflect outwardly to understand what other people think about them. So they will be more socially intelligent. But the self, the intrapersonal intelligence, they lack that for this reason or another reason or other reason. And there are people who are naturally oriented towards that because they tend to be by nature more introspective. So this is a form of intelligence that 
allows for certain people to really delve in and know themselves and know their inner processes so that they can share those with other people. And, you know, uh, again, another form of intelligence in which you have to understand the other person. If they are that way, then they need time alone. They need time to be introspective. Now, what has been added recently, and these are not yet confirmed, but there is the possibility of two other intelligences so that we can possibly looking at be possibly be looking at nine intelligences. But I love the number seven. Uh, there's a lot, I see a lot of divinity in the number seven, but that doesn't mean that I would not, uh, you know, I would not venture out of seven, you know, because I like the number because nine is also a very important number. Um, but there are two other intelligences that seem to make sense, and that is the uh, nature intelligence. And nature intelligence is, is a kind of, is, are those people who identify with nature. And they, they identify with the natural world. How many times have you heard people say, I just, I love being in nature? And not only that, but people who are, they study, they become botanists or they become, uh, you know, I don't know, geologists. They have something personal with nature. They love nature and they love the way that nature communicates. They have a way of communicating with nature and receiving communication from nature. So there's this nature intelligence that certain people have. And I think it can be seen in certain uh, certain places in academia where people just really excel studying, I don't know, plant cellular biology, you know. <laughs> they really get into delving into what nature is all about and they really understand it and are able to come out with theories and hypotheses. Then there's the final intelligence, which is the existential intelligence. And this is, these are people who are looking to locate themselves with respect to the ultimate issues in life. They like to delve into really big issues and cosmology and how did we get here and where did man come from? How was the earth created? And, and you know, what is my place in the universe? These kinds of grand, large questions. So these are people who communicate this and have a way of excelling in this area of maybe philosophy, cosmology. And then when you mix and match these different things, because remember, as I said before, when you mix and match, you will have a person who is, um, like I said, uh, a sculptor, but then they're not just simply a kinesthetic sculptor, they're a um, visual sculptor as well. So they, they do things, they touch, but then they, with the eye, they determine perspective. And I think I missed out on one here. I think I missed out on one. I think there's the spatial. There's also a spatial intelligence where you can, you can um, understand your environment. You know, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of those people who can really do acrobatics. And I, I imagine them to be kinesthetic, right, because they're using their body. I imagine them to be visual because they're expressing themselves. You know, they're, they're putting on a show you know, quote unquote show they're, they're being seen, but they have a sense of spatialness about them. Um, as they, they know that their body within a certain space is able to contort and flip and fly up in the air. And there's a sense of where the ground is. You know, I can't do anything. I, I can't do any of this stuff. I get on trampolines. I, my spatial intelligence. <laughs> and of course I believe there are other different types of intelligences as well. I mean, these are these are subjects that have been around for a long time. Uh, I believe that there's a certain um, 
protective uh, protective intelligence. There's there's an intelligence where more people are more protective than others. There's a uh, I don't know how else to call it a hyper protective intelligence where you have the instinct to protect the people around you. And think about bodyguards, how they just happen to have this sense of. Uh, how to protect the person that they're protecting because they're scanning their environment. They're understanding that in their environment, um, what could be a danger to the person that they're protecting. So, you know, there's a lot of fascinating uh, avenues that can be taken uh, when you delve deeper and deeper into this. So that's the seven intelligences. That's the overview that I wanted to give today. I hope that it was useful. And I hope if you take anything away, take those three, start with those main three, kinesthetic, auditory, and visual. Because we all speak, we all hear, we all touch, and we all see. So we have these three intelligence. We use them. You cannot go throughout your day without opening your eyes. You cannot engage in other people without speaking. And you can't get a sense of the world without touching. Even you don't have to necessarily touch other people, but you have to you touch the doorknob. You have to have a sense if you if you get on a bike, you have to you know have a sense of you're sitting on the bike and your feet are pedaling the pedal. So we all use kinesthetic, visual, and auditory intelligence every day in our lives. And if you take away those three, what it can help you do is to identify the people who you communicate with the most. And try to understand if they're visual or auditory or kinesthetic so that you can begin to alter and create a more smoothness in your relationship with that person, knowing that that person would prefer to receive communications in a certain way. And it would help you to enhance yours. You know, I'm kinesthetic. My partner is auditory. So I'm learning myself to be more auditory and the pleasures in being more auditory, expanding your vocabulary, using certain words, coming up with creative ways to compliment. You understand? It enhances what may be secondary to you while what is primary to you comes naturally. You don't have to work on that, but you can work on the other forms of intelligences so that you can become a better communicator. Listen, I really have enjoyed this session. I hope you enjoyed it too, and uh, we will catch up soon because we still have some more overviews to get into with the gene codes. Thanks again for the support, and thank you for listening.